Hey, I'm Ruben from Dub. Welcome to Connection Loop, our actionable podcast about building businesses with daily human connections. Connection Loop features long form interviews with fascinating people in sales, marketing, and beyond. Enjoy today's episode and learn more about Dub at dub.com. And we are live. Hey guys, this is Ruben Dua from Dub's podcast, Connection Loop. I am on today with Ariel, and Ariel comes to us as a filmmaker, in fact, and uh, just an amazing personality. Uh, Ariel has done a lot on LinkedIn, on YouTube, and even on TikTok now. So we're going to understand you know, how Ariel is using social channels to share stories, to build up a brand, to ultimately build connections like this new one that we have here. So Ariel, if you could, please just give us a short bio on yourself, and let's get into the topic. Awesome. Thank you so much for inviting me in. Uh, I've been exploring cities via video for the past four years. Mm. Uh, my main platform for the first four years has been mostly Facebook and Instagram to a shorter extent. And then now I've expanded to YouTube and TikTok. And so I'm a filmmaker and also just a storyteller, uh, mostly using live streaming as my main medium. Amazing. And then what would you say that the, the story that you've been capturing, what is that really? What are you really trying to, to share with folks? Yeah, you know what? Uh, before this year, it's been tough to explain to people what I do because a lot of people didn't know what live streaming was or is. Uh, but now because of the pandemic and everyone going on live more days, it's a lot easier to kind of give the gist. So I explore a landmark, a neighborhood, a museum, a interesting place, a restaurant on live video. I go through the place for like an hour or more, sometimes up to four or five hours and tell the story about the history or about the food or about the people, anything that's rather engaging about the place. And then of course on, on TikTok or on vlogs, it's just a, for, a shorter format of that. Mm. And then what, uh, how do you kind of package this all up? What is your uh, like revenue stream? What, what do you sell? What's the product? What's the service to you? Are you a gun for hire or do you have um, other content? Yeah, so my service is uh, two things. I am a freelance filmmaker. So basically uh, my content array functions as like my portfolio. portfolio. Mm. So I um, collaborate with conferences or, or concerts or festivals to uh, live stream or capture it on video in, in, in many different ways. Also, mm. I'm an expert in camera movement, so things that move so I can very dynamic filmmaking, especially when it comes to dance events or concerts. And then beyond that is uh, the second thing is sponsorships on my main show, which is Urbanist, which is the one about exploring cities. And that I collaborate with either tourism boards mostly or brands that are related to my content. So I've worked with brands like Sennheiser uh, because I visited their pop-up shop in Soho. And also they did an amazing museum exhibition about David Bowie. So I, uh, they sponsored me to go to that exhibition and showcase it on live video. And other things like Red uh, uh, Film and Food Festival and many others. And then the third thing is I do also private tours for my for whoever's a fan, whoever discovers, discovers me on live video, they want the personal real life experience of what I do, uh, they can hire me. So it's so interesting because you are, there's so much that we can learn from you as a visual storyteller, as a filmmaker, as a, someone that's become a professional in this field, because we, we and when I say we, I mean the, the larger kind of dub audience, 
of now almost, I think, 30,000 businesses and all the folks uh, all over the world that are just creating simple, simple videos using their phone, using their webcam, and then sending those across the wire. And I think what's so interesting is that um, most people don't have that filmmaking background, obviously. You know, it's a, yeah. it's a run and gun type situation. You know, what we all now call, of course, authentic videos. But what would you say uh, some of the best tips that you can provide folks that don't necessarily have the background that you have to, to capture a video quickly? Um, what are some of the, um, the, the do's, the do nots? That is a excellent question. I think uh, a lot of creators who start in the beginning or, or anyone who's a professional and that wants to make videos usually doesn't ask themselves. Um, I think the very, the most basic thing is lighting mm. with more lighting, the better the video. But of course, now we have our phones and for perspective, our phones are more powerful than some of the biggest budget movies made in the 70s mm. and early 80s. So that's the power of our phone right now. And it's only going to increase. So and I think, comes- I think Steven Soderbergh might, might argue that, in fact, they're, they're actually on par now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So much so that he's made already one film entirely on iPhone. Yeah. Um, so that said, lighting is, is the first basic thing. The more mm. lighting you get, the crisper the video is going to look. Mm. Uh, and I usually get comments of people saying, oh, are you filming with the DSLR? And I'm like, no, I'm just using my phone. Mm. Just, I just opened up my window. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, uh, or if you're outside, just be mindful of, mm. of, of, of being in a place where there's maximum lighting possible. Mm. Um, and the second tip, I think, for a non-filmmaker is sound. So that is a little bit more trickier, but it's good to be conscious of the audible environment around you. So usually people get a little bit sidetracked if there is um, a huge vent or, or air conditioner on the background. And even though you are not being conscious of the sound, it's very, very loud. Uh-oh, I think you disappeared. <laughs>
Now that was now that was funny. <laughs> so the funny thing about that was that right when I was asking you about the do's and the do nots, and you started to talk about sound, for some reason, right when you said the word sound, <laughs> the sound just started to go on this live stream, and then all of a sudden I got kicked out of the room. So um, oh, okay. Yeah, anyways, let's pick that back up. Apologize yeah. for that. So you were talking about lighting and then you were talking about sound. Yeah, no worries. Uh, so sound is is the simplest thing to also control, I think, because uh, a lot of people sometimes don't notice that a simple vent or air conditioner or a fan could be very, very loud. Or if you're doing the video outside, being right next to traffic or being in a windy location can add a whole lot of it just makes the sound sound ugly so another comment i usually get in my videos people will think oh my god what's the uh audio setup you're using mm. uh, they think i'm using some brand new microphone and while i do like using good audio equipment sometimes when they, i get that question i'm just using my iphone it's just i'm talking either very close to it or i'm very conscientious about the sound so I think the biggest pro tip is be mindful of the sound. So if you're recording in a indoor place, literally turn off every uh, type of equipment as much as you can, like an air conditioner or a vent, or go to another room, which doesn't have that equipment. And if you're outdoors, even if you're right next to, say, a, a busy street or it's very windy day, just go around the corner. Yet generally, you can find a spot where the sound mm. will be much more pleasant. Got it. And then, you know, when it comes to inspiration, I think that <clears throat> one of the values, one of the true benefits of having a phone in our pocket and having an entire movie studio in our pocket is that when we feel the inspiration, we can record, you know, and that's mm -hmm. a that's a pretty powerful idea. Um, <clears throat> tell us about this idea of how we can how we can make inspiration repeatable, you know, and that comes from oh, internal yeah. things. That comes from external things. You know, if I, it's it's almost like the stars have to align. I have to feel confident and then I have to look confident, look smart, look good, and then be in an environment where I actually feel comfortable shooting and recording. So what, what's your take on that? That's, that's I think, the ultimate question when it comes to being a, a creator <laughs> or, or a professional using video. So I would like to make a difference between two types of content. There is the, there's a content I make for art sake so urbanist my show even though it's a show it's a brand uh i'm still doing it mostly out of art's sake so it's it's fun it's it's something that i make because i'm inspired it's something i make because i want to tell a story and then uh, uh there's client work or there's uh something i do as a business and that type of work is a service so i'm providing value to other people so i think the inspiration comes from the way to make it repeatable, I think, is either there's a saying I like to say, do what you love or love what you do. Mm. So if it's my own content, if if it's about my brand, like many other people might be watching for, or if it's like your own show, like in my case, Urbanist or your own uh, vlog, then just do anything that's really that you're into at the moment. Be as honest as possible. Because I think if you start talking about something that you don't like, then it's going to come very easily across 
on video because mm -hmm. there's no way you can hide all these smaller, you know, facial tics and, and body language signals to hide your disinterest in something. So mm. even if you say are a you run a business about real estate and at that moment you really don't want to talk about real estate, but somehow you like that corner coffee shop or you like that uh, landmark right next to you, talk about that. There's always something to talk about that's related to what your business is that is uh, tied to you personally. So I think that's how I keep the inspiration going. And then the second factor is um, love what you do. So if you're talking, if it's for a client or for a service, I think the key is to find that niche, that little thing in the work that you're doing or in the business you're conducting that really captures your fascination. And there's always something to capture your fascination. Uh, I've, I've worked with clients of all types of varieties uh, from Sennheiser, which I personally really love because I love their products. And I love like their, their, their light, their company story to other brands that, you know, are a little bit more mundane and there's always something cool that you can attach yourself to it. And I think once you find that nibble of fascination, follow that. And that's how you make an engaging video, regardless of your situation. Nice, man. That was that was really well put. You know, I think that uh, what what a lot of people suffer from is this idea of we have a business, we need to uh, service the bottom line, we need to generate revenue. Um, therefore, our content has to ultimately drive revenue. And I think, you know, the, the hardest thing to do is to branch out of that idea, you know, to branch out of that and say, our content is actually not going to be about selling, it's going to be about entertainment, it's going to be about education, information. And three clicks in, someone can find and learn more about what our core competency is, what our revenue streams are. And then if they like our stuff, then you know maybe there's some business to be had. I would say that that for me is is the biggest thing that I think you know I notice that people struggle from is being able to detach from the bottom line when being a creator. Um, you, it seems like you don't, you don't suffer from that problem. You have a very clear church and state relationship between your content, which is a show. I mean, this show could be on uh, major television, you know, uh, uh, you know, it could be on Netflix, right? Um, oh, yeah, but but as and it will soon <laughs> and will and will soon. Yep. And uh, but but at the same time, you know, you're a filmmaker and you're available for hire to do to do so many things. So how would you say that you kind of structured yourself um, to have that church and state dynamic? Well, I actually got the idea from an amazing book called The Seven Laws of Money, uh, which was uh, written by a stock um, broker back in the 1970s who actually happened to be into spirituality as well. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, the first law of money in his book was you do things for art and you do things for business. Uh, and that that's where if it came clear to me because when I was – in the beginning, say two years of Urbanist, I was really trying to make Urbanist a business uh, because I, obviously I'm a content creator. I gotta live, you know. I gotta pay rent. I gotta uh, pay for camera equipment, etc. There's a bunch of things, and also I want to grow and thrive, uh, especially the show and my content. So 
I thought to myself, how can I make Urbanist a business so I can make more money so I can grow the show? And the fact was that by focusing so much on making a business for the show, it was uh, draining the the very kind of uh, uh, beauty about the show that it was based on whatever I was fascinated by in terms of history or travel. And since if I was business focused, I would have to be very cognizant of not covering certain topics that might detract other um, business partners or sponsors. I had to be cognizant of of uh, fumbling around in my storytelling because I might take a risk in a new setting or a new city or a new um, new way of storytelling. And that was slowing me down. And I thought to myself, no, I got to separate it. Urbanist is art. Um, the business is going to be maybe if I'm sponsored, that video is going to be fully focused on that sponsor. I'm going to give them the best video for them. Uh, every other video is art and my freelancing is business. I am giving a service to other people. However, if you, if it conflates for some people and it's say you are a, I think the best examples for real estaters is that they're both the, the name of their companies, their name as well. So if you're doing that type of business, I think you could do the strategy of doing one for me and one for them. So one video is just whatever I find very interesting. So people can get attached to you as a person. And then one for them is providing value to the people who want to tune in for uh, real estate or for, you know, what, whatever the example might be food or restaurant. I think having that, that separation adds a little bit of, um, it keeps you going at a much faster because this is not a sprint when it comes to video, because if you think video is a sprint, you're in the wrong medium. I think the best medium for sprinting to get a lot of sales or to get a lot of business it's just doing something a little bit more straightforward, you know, having building a good funnel or, or building a good website or, or whatever, or, or direct sales. But in video, since video can be replayed, it's evergreen. Uh, in most cases, uh, you can reuse video to showcase to other platforms or to other clients. It's a long-term game. It's an endurance race. So the key is to keep yourself entertained, yourself first entertained for as long as possible. And by doing something along the lines of one for me and one for them is great because sometimes you get a little bit bored about talking about your own interest and you want to do something that's hundred percent valuable for someone else. Yeah, that's so well put. You know, we, we, we totally believe in that philosophy, the one for me, one for them. Uh, at some, at some point we are guilty for, for doing too much of one side. Um, yeah. But that's that's really interesting to me. Now I do notice that on your on your channelist urbanist uh, exploring cities that you have kind of a combination of of produced videos and then live videos. So so you have you have some live videos that are three to four hours long. I think <laughs> the longest video that I'm seeing here is four hours five minutes and twenty five seconds. Now yeah, couple of questions here. So question number one is. Do you ever feel like putting live videos on your videos that I on your YouTube channel, which traditionally get less less views, right? It seems like the algorithm doesn't promote a live video as much, you know, once it's streamed, 
right? Maybe, maybe not. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the first question. And then the follow-up question is, um, you know, what, what does it take to actually record a four-hour live video? <laughs> like, how do you actually even do that? So that's a, that's two great questions. I think the first one is something I'm actually going through right now is on Facebook, my main platform has been Facebook for the first four years. And I'm just, just for the past two months, which I'm starting to do YouTube and I've been growing quickly on YouTube. Um, so Facebook is a river of content and um, no one really goes to your page to look at what you posted a year ago. It's not, it's not really that type of platform. Plus, there's no discoverability on Facebook. So no one's searching uh, New York City, Times Square history. No one's searching that on Facebook. Facebook is all about sharing, and it's about in the moment, and it's about posting as much as possible. So I didn't care when it came to Facebook in terms of whatever live video I posted, produced video, didn't really matter. But on YouTube, it's a bit trickier because YouTube it's almost like Instagram. You want to have a nicely curated feed. So because people will go onto your YouTube channel and see if they get hooked on enough, they might want to see that those videos from one year, two years, three years ago. Um, the way I thought about it is a YouTube is actually emphasizing more live video and that's uh, due to the pandemic. So there's a lot more emphasis on live video. And there's a lot more business potentially to be made from live video because currently in Asia, that's including um, China, Korea, and Japan, it's a $9 billion in industry uh, live streaming. So, and in the US, it's, I don't think it even reaches a billion yet. So there's a whole lot of more money to be made in live video. And that's why YouTube is giving a lot more emphasis on it. Now, whether I have a pr prospective client, sponsor, or viewer coming to my page and seeing a four-hour-plus live video, they might be turned off. I get it. And I recently came to terms to myself, hey, I love live video in terms of when it comes to YouTube and Facebook content, so I'm just going to fully own it and just go all in and not... And yeah, I, I like produce video as well, but if they see those four-hour-plus videos, so be it. <laughs> um, mm. I'd rather have um, that viewership that likes both sides of my content. I think moving forward, um, since Urbanist is branded as a show and I intend it to continue growing beyond myself, there might be a possibility where I make a secondary YouTube channel that's mm -hmm. fully focused on produced content or very highly produced content. Mm. Nice, man. Nicely put. Now, yeah. if you had, uh, you know, this is a live stream video. This we could have live streamed this. We could have just recorded this and then uploaded it. Now, as far as you know, what would the difference be in taking a video like this and either streaming it on YouTube live or uploading it to YouTube live? The video would be the same. The content would be the same. But from a from a visibility standpoint, do you think that there would be any difference in the in the in the viewability you know how it becomes a searchable evergreen asset on youtube or something that maybe one day gets featured somewhere great question so live video the difference between live video and tv and or a vlog or produce video is that live video you have actual comments and people there watching live so 
generally, it's better if you have no audience interaction at the moment, then why do it live? Unless if it's, um, there's a few exceptions, like this type of show is an exception because some people just want to be there in the conversation while it's live. Uh, I think Joe Rogan used to do mostly live streams before because people just want to join in for the conversation. But I say for most of the cases, if you don't have any audience interaction, then don't bother doing it live. Just record it and post it. You'll get longer term engagement from it. You'll get longer term views from it because YouTube will continue uh, prioritizing it much higher than the live stream. Mm. So and also, would... it's higher quality. So you would say you would say that the because it's live and because the focus is to get people to check it out in real time, that it might get less long term visibility. So what happens? Yes. Yeah, so what happens in live video is while YouTube and Facebook are prioritizing live video again uh, and even more so moving forward they still are not going to show your random live video uh, two years from now mm. because I doubt I doubt that's going to be the case. And the reason for that is it's it's already outdated. Uh, it's not ever live video by its nature is not really that evergreen. So I think um, while YouTube might change their algorithm or, or continue the algorithm in a way that it can continue showing your live video, for like a month or two more. Um, it's not going to be something that's going to be in the very, very long term. So if you're making live content, better make it live, like audience interaction, something that is is about the very now. If, if you're more business oriented, then that live video, it would be better if you want to make some sales right at that moment when you're live, something that is only can be done live is audience interaction and this sense of immediacy that's right here, right now. Nice. Very well put. Uh, YouTube subscriber growth. Let's get into this topic. You know, a lot of people uh, struggle from that. Most people fatigue. Most, you know, it takes six months to get your first 100 followers for most people, sometimes longer. And it's a very frustrating path. You know, you ask friends and family and aunts and uncles to follow you. And to get to that next unlock of 1,000 and 10,000 and 100,000, it's, it's challenging, right? So what was the journey like for you? Uh, first, I want to talk about YouTube. Um, what was that journey like uh, to get from 100 to 1,000 to 10,000? Yeah, so right now I'm at 17,000. And I went from 4,000 to 17,000 in about two months uh, before... 4,000. I basically got to 4,000 subs because I posted like a video like once every month or once every two months. But one specific video ended up getting viral, which was a tour of Jollibee in Times Square, which is a Filipino McDonald's. And it just ended up getting like five, a half a million views. And a bunch of people followed me for it. Now, um, now it's at 602,000. Heads up. Oh, there we go. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> see, and see, that's evergreen content continues getting views because yeah. it was a produced blog. Um, but when it comes to growing, and I, just to yeah. just, sorry to yeah. cut you off. So, so yeah, let's talk about this. So, where did this? How did this happen? Was talk to me. Why? Why Jollibee? Oh yeah. So, most of my YouTube channel before live streaming two months ago was just produced food vlogs. Most of it. 
uh, or small history vlogs. And I did Jollibee. Jollibee was actually the most spontaneous of all the food vlogs. I've done food vlogs where they were very heavily planned and much more well-researched. And uh, I took way longer time in editing. And Jollibee, I just did it very spontaneously because it opened up and I was very curious about visiting it. Uh, the reason I think I ended up getting 600,000 views is A, uh, it was already going viral with other creators, including my friend over here who also did a video. And uh, B, Filipinos love seeing Americans try their food. It's just a thing on YouTube. And there's many other like niches on YouTube that are similar that You'll go viral whatever you do uh, when it comes to certain topics. And the, this is one of those topics. And then C, I entertain that Filipino audience even more by putting Filipino songs in, in the video. So I think that's that was the kicker. It was just it just it just uh, went like wildfire there. The reason mm. I think about four thousand people subbed was just because um they commented that they enjoyed the my me talking about the food history of Filipino food and then B talking about the architecture of the place. And I think there was just that subset of 4,000 viewers that were like, Ooh, I like this guy. He's talking about food and architecture in the same video. Uh, let me sub to him. Mm. Yeah. Nice. That's, and that's you can happened. tell that there's, there's just genuine conversations that are happening here yeah. in the comments. You know, people are, are so intrigued by this. So, so you... wait, actually, let me, let me pause you there for yeah. one second. Uh, one thing I wanted to add is that I end up doing a mistake in that video where uh, there's this uh, treat called the uh, hollow hollow, which I'm actually eating right now as you're showing it. And that treat, I just kind of just ate straight away. And you're supposed to mix it because the actual name is called Halo Halo, which in Tagalog, which in Filipino language just means mix mix. Ah. And and it was a mistake. And a lot of the comments are people are like saying, you're supposed to mix it. Oh no, you forgot to mix it. <laughs> so I I would encourage people, this is to make to mistakes me. in their videos. <laughs> this has happened to me on TikTok specifically. I'm right now 150K uh, followers on TikTok. And a few of those videos that got viral is because I've done a tiny little mistake mm. uh, unintentionally and uh, people just talk about it. And sometimes it leads to hate. Sometimes this isn't good fun. And in this case, it was mostly in good fun uh, because, you know, I'm a foreigner and uh, maybe I didn't understand the food, which that was the case. Uh, so don't be afraid of making mistakes. You'll go viral <laughs> potentially. Well, that that's yeah. I mean, that's really funny. That's that's so interesting that that, that like dynamic there, um, you know, TikTok, what a, what a cool example that intimidates so many people in, I would say, older demographics or mm -hmm. maybe kind of less social folks, you know, um, talk to me about this, this process for you. What what's your kind of general story here? What's been your process? Um, how have you now gotten the success that you've received three point? 2 million likes, 157,000 followers. So by the way, I really appreciate that when you give me your numbers, you give them below of what they are, not above. Because <laughs> a lot of people have a bad habit of saying, I have 160,000 followers oh, on yeah. TikTok. <laughs> and it's better to be, how cool is it to be corrected like with modesty <laughs> versus with arrogance? So just a shout out to you for that. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Uh, I, say, I say on purpose because I, I've, 
I used to work in the media world, so I, I know the lack of modesty. And also, I, I, I uh, have many friends in the advertisement industry, so I know the lack of modesty is an issue. Uh, so when it comes to TikTok, you know, I, I got about 157,000 subs in only the course of about three months or so. Um, TikTok, A, is super easy to grow, just, just in general. It's the algorithm finds the audience for you in whatever niche you are in. Um, it might not be the case for everyone, of course. Some niches are a little bit easier than others, but uh, generally TikTok, the algorithm is top notch, I think, in my opinion, compared to YouTube or Facebook, mm. miles ahead of it. And that's why TikTok in the last investor meeting for Netflix, they mentioned TikTok as their number one competitor, not Disney, not another company. It was TikTok, which is rather weird for a long form entertainment company saying that they, TikTok is competition. I think it's for that reason. So to say that, um, I actually spent months trying to, I was, because it was the middle of the pandemic, I, I was uh, bored, I was searching for some humor, and I spent months on TikTok looking at a bunch of random videos and saying, I want to go viral on this, uh, but I have no idea how because I, I don't like dancing. I like filming dance, but I don't like dancing myself. And I'm not really a comedian or a funny guy. At least that's not my top thing. So I had no idea how I could do TikTok. But the thing that changed uh, my perspective was I saw a few people do voiceover videos that were like a mini tour of a place. So basically what I was doing on YouTube, condensing one hour to one minute. And... That's what ended up going viral was these stories that I were already told on live video, but I just condensed it to one minute. Um, mm. Same thing with uh, certain stories I've told in YouTube vlogs. Uh, the key is to my success is generally storytelling is difficult. Uh, not everyone has that uh, skill. Storytelling is a craft. And while it might look easy, I've had four years of practice, so I have the ability to tell a, a very complex story. Uh, for example, I told a story about a skyscraper that nearly fell down in New York, and I think it's around 3 million something views, and it's a little bit further down. Uh, that story, I basically took, uh, there was already a famous 99% Invisible podcast that's about 20 minutes long, and my other video is about 10 minutes long, I condense that story into one minute. And that's mm -hmm. the one right there, six million views. Um, and yeah, that so that has been my key to success is that I've just been able to bombard people with information in only a course of one minute. Okay, so let's let's get into this. I dig this style. Uh, it makes me miss New York like crazy, <laughs> gosh. Um, so, okay, how long did this... Uh, are you recording all this within just a couple of minutes? Are you capturing your clips over the course of 10 minutes? Um, you know, give me the process. How do you add the voiceover? How do you go uh, add the text? How long does the total video take you to create? In this case, let's just say as, as an example. I'll tell you this, you know, uh, right as the pandemic hit, I wanted to grow on YouTube and I made a 45 minute documentary that took me a month uh to edit and then one month other to shoot so, so it was a two-month documentary and they'll be 1000 views <laughs> i spent all this time and work on it on tiktok 
this video was literally filmed within the span of five minutes. And I went home and I don't script my videos. So I uh, just kept repeating the voiceover until I got it right. But since I'm already pretty good at telling voiceover, it took me about 10 minutes or so to do the voiceover. So 15 minutes, I was done with this video and got 6 million views. And, and then did you, how did you, what did you edit this in? Uh, a lot of people always ask me that question. I did it fully within TikTok. Fully within TikTok. So within yeah. within 15, so what would you say minus the practicing of the audio clips? Mm -hmm. How long was the total production time of this? Um, well, I mean, you can't really remove the practicing of the audio clips because that's, uh, but if you were to script it, uh, you can literally do it within 10 minutes or less. I mean, nice, it's, man. it's so easy to produce a TikTok video. Um, it, and the thing is, a lot of people, I have a few other friends who do similar videos. Um, they take the time to script and they take the time to be a little bit more precise with their shooting, but they're not getting that many views. Um, mm. I think the looseness and the authenticity and to be frank, sometimes just straight up making a mistake uh, in this one, I didn't make a mistake, but sometimes I made a mistake in a few others. It's okay. It ends up getting, I think that ends up getting a lot more views is because people just like the looseness of it. Um, it feels more, you know, um, yeah, more authentic. I think people get latched on to that authenticity. Nice, man. Well, listen, man, you, you are an inspiration and you make it look so easy. And I know that it's not, I know that you've got, you know, 10,000 plus hours, uh, in your back pocket, you know, being a filmmaker, being a visual storyteller, um, keep creating. We love your content, YouTube, TikTok, like wherever you're at, like bring it, man. Um, you know, tons <laughs> you. of gratitude. Um, just a shout out to you and some of your, some of your channels, um, like, uh, give us where, where can we learn more about you? Yeah, I mean, uh, my main platform right now is YouTube. So YouTube, Urbanist Exploring Cities. I go live every 1 p.m. Saturday and Wednesdays uh, while I'm still in New York. And TikTok, at Ariel Vieira. And Facebook, Urbanist Live. Those are the main main platforms. Nice, man. And, uh, and if you want to hire me as a freelance filmmaker, arielvieira.com. arielvieira.com. That's it, yeah. guys. Well, Ariel, stick around for some show notes, and I really appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Ruben. Yeah.